everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today. Oh. Today is a very exciting day in the world of friends talking fantasy. Mm, Why is that, Charles? Well, you know, not too long ago, we wrapped up a buddy read session of Book of the Ancestors, a trilogy by Mark Lawrence. And I think it was right when we dropped the Red Sister episode, um... Mark Lawrence himself graciously commented on that episode, retweeted it, I believe. And um, since then, every episode we dropped, he would react to it. And he would even make these comments that you would have to have listened pretty much all the way to the end of the episode to reference some of the things that he was commenting on our episodes. It was really, really uh, exciting i mean i remember when he did that first retweet i my my jaw dropped when i looked at my phone i was like what mark lawrence himself reacting to our episode right and probably worth clarifying that he he's done that for every episode of the book of the ancestor not yeah just not every episode hard stop but yeah, no, we he very did much react to all of our, it. you know, our buddy reads about Book of the Ancestor. We did also like a, a theme of friendship, just discussion yeah. episode as well. Um, we did Bound, the short story within Book of the Ancestor. So, um, and he's supported us through every single one, which we're greatly appreciative of. It was a lot of fun getting to get his reactions, having a little bit of back and forth on Twitter. It was. Uh, you know, he called uh, one episode a great listen. He also <laughs> confirmed that we are social media friends. So with a formal declaration yes, on Twitter. A so now formal I'm declaration of social of the media show, Mark Lawrence. That's absolutely correct. So we were recording these episodes. Um, you know, Mark Lawrence was showing us all this love, and we were like, you know what, we gotta kind of shoot our shot here and send him some questions because we have been reading Mark Lawrence for a long time, even before the show, and we were always curious about certain elements of his writing style. And then as we discussed Book of the Ancestor, we had a few more questions about that series as well. So we typed up our questions through the power of the internet, sent it out to him, and he very graciously uh, typed up a reply for us. And that's why we're here today. Yeah. So thank you, friend of the show, Mark Lawrence. You've given us a chance to have some awesome conversation about your work and how you go about writing it and it's really cool to hear from an author that you've been reading for a while and really admire their work and wondering all these things and then like the internet gives you the opportunity to actually have a shot to go ask them and it's pretty amazing and mark lawrence is so great about interacting with his fans fans like us Mm -hmm. and we are super grateful yeah i mean these questions the replies to these questions are super thoughtful i remember he emailed us after we sent it he's like i'm working on a reply for you guys like sorry it's coming late and we're like don't worry it's it's okay (laughs) we appreciate that you're taking the time to reach out to us so super thoughtful guy these 
questions are um, very well thought out. And we were like, we have to. The um, answers to them. Anyway. The answers. Yeah. The questions are super <laughs> thought out. I mean, the questions <laughs> are amazing. Great questions. But the answers are just as thoughtful, if not more so. Probably more so. Uh, <laughs> and definitely better written. Yes. <laughs> That's who provided sure. them. So yes. let's no further ado, Charles. Well, I do want to say before oh, we get okay. too far into it that... This is about Book of the Ancestor, but if you haven't read it, this is still a great place to start. This is going to kind of give you an insight into some of Mark Lawrence's writing, most particularly about Book of the Ancestor. I think it's Book of the Ancestor focused in some ways, but when I look at the questions, actually, especially these first couple that we're asking, maybe the first few, actually just fans of Mark Lawrence in general and including the Broken Empire and uh, like Print of Fools and stuff will appreciate them or, or, well, at least they'll be able to relate to them. So I'd say we kind of split the episode up into some of these more general or spoiler-free questions that will come earlier and then maybe around halfway through the episode or so uh, we'll get to a point where the questions have some spoilers for Book of the Ancestor, but we'll give you a heads up when we're heading toward those questions and let you know to turn it down in your headphones before you get anything spoiled if you haven't read that awesome series yet. Very well said. Well, let's not delay any longer. Mark Lawrence answered our questions. We have them here today. How this will work is each of us wrote a couple questions, so... We'll just read the question that we asked, and then the other friend will read the response as Mark Lawrence. So just do a little back and forth here. (laughs) I didn't know we were (laughs) role-playing. Well, we'll just read the reply verbatim. uh. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, how do you open an episode with questions for Mark Lawrence? You open it with a question about his incredible opening lines. Yes. So I asked Mark Lawrence, your opening lines grab the reader and ground them in the story so well. Openers like Red Sisters, it is important when killing a nun to ensure that you bring an army of sufficient size. For Sister Thorin of the Sweet Mercy Convent, Lanotaxis brought 200 men. And Prince (laughs) of Fools is, I'm a liar and a cheat and a coward, but I will never ever let a friend down. Unless, of course, not letting them down requires honesty, fair play, or bravery. (laughs) Exemplify this. When do these tend to come to you? Does writing a new story usually begin with thinking of these lines, or do they come to you later on? Great question, Dylan, and here's Mark Lawrence's reply. Uh, The first lines are the first thing I write. I'll have thought about the character a little beforehand, and sometimes about the world they're in, but the vast majority of the story is written as I type, and it's very rare for me to go back and add anything. A good first line is an inspiration to write a story that lives up to it. Yeah, and this made so much sense to me when he replied in that way, because I was even thinking, like, what is so great about Lawrence's line besides lines in the openers, besides the fact that they're well-written, is that bit about how they ground you in the story and already you're like, oh, this is what I'm in for. And it makes sense that Mark Lawrence is kind of thinking through the story a little bit he's got an idea of these characters and then when he knows what people are in for and what he's in for when he's writing it that first line is ready and he just 
writes it and goes. Yeah. I mean, that first line in Red Sister is so, so good. And it doesn't surprise me at all that that's kind of the genesis for the whole series, because especially in Book of the Ancestor, you know, that line is so iconic. And even just in conversations, not even about Mark Lawrence's work, but about like opening lines in fantasy, that one um, gets referred to a lot and rightfully so. So it makes sense that Mark Lawrence kind of has prioritized that and is like, okay, let's frame the whole story in this way that will like, what's the thing that's hooking us in? What's the draw and how do I make this exciting? And like, let's write from there. It doesn't surprise me at all that Mark Lawrence is like, I just kind of, you know, I write what I like and then I, I keep going. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's a very um, uh, like honest and almost obvious kind of reply to that. But it's good to see that uh, these first lines are, are kind of the whole like thesis of the entire series. It's very interesting to see him say that exactly, you know, so kind of what we suspected. Yeah, for sure. And Mark Lawrence is known for being a seat of his pants writer, a pantser, as some <laughs> folks say, uh, and it makes sense. And I don't think he does very much in the way of revision, as he noted here. So, oh, yeah, it's very impressive when you think about <laughs> it. Like, if I told you, yeah, the whole thing is plied out and outlined really thoroughly, I don't think you would be surprised if you never knew that Lawrence just kind of writes straight through. I think that would make sense. But he, yeah, somehow he's able to just kind of sit down and write this straight through. It's so. pretty impressive. I mean, especially yeah. like Book of the Ancestor and um, uh, what's the name? Broken Empire. They go yep. back and they go back and forth quite a bit. You know, they bounce around in time quite a bit. And um, to kind of just write that straight through is is very impressive and it leads us into our next question which which is thank you which is a question that i asked and it reads uh, for us a notable part of the mark lawrence experience is alternating between timelines throughout the story what is your philosophy on using time changes for plotting or story devices has your use of this writing device changed since the broken empire which was his and, first uh, trilogy. Yes. And Mark Lawrence responded by saying, when you're writing a book with multiple point of view characters, you're able to bounce around the map and offer different perspectives. George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series is an excellent example. I've written over a dozen books with a single, often first-person, point-of-view character or an overwhelming focus on a single character. Having different timelines allows much of the freedom that extra POVs do. It's just a flashback without the flash. It can take you across the map. It can offer a very separate story while illuminating your characters. Some readers don't like multiple timelines. I've seen people say that what happens in the earlier timelines is not exciting or important because it's not happening, quote unquote, now. To which I can only reply that neither is the whole book unless it's written in the present tense. I've seen people talk about a lack of tension because they know that the character survives. Uh, they've seen them in the more recent timeline, to which I can only reply that the reader does not believe the single POV character is going to die in book one or two or 75% of the way through book three. Ultimately, though, common sense doesn't enter into it. People feel what they feel. However, 
I like the device and many readers share that reaction, so I'll just carry on doing what I want to. In part, I think reader reaction is driven by what they read for. Some readers are very into character, and those readers, I think, are very happy with time shifts since the focus remains on the character. Other readers are almost entirely focused on plot and consider the rest of the story as support services. Those readers can feel that the plot is floundering if you move the focus back in time. And to answer the question, I don't think my use of the device has changed, excepting in that I generally avoid repeating myself, so I try to keep most things changing most of the time for no reason other than I get bored doing the same thing for too long. That's a fantastic reply. And, you know, I feel like sometimes, you you know, when he says the line, I've seen people say that what happens in the earlier timelines is not exciting or important because it's not happening now. Um I think that, you know, I've kind of voiced some of those things. I'll admit it. Um, when I did my reaction, you know, when we talked long before the show about Broken Empire, and I voiced my concerns in Friends Pitching Fantasy when you pitched Book of the Ancestor. Yeah, I was like, how how timey wimey does this does this get? <laughs> and you and you know, you addressed it well, and I think Mark Lawrence addresses it super well here too, and. I've kind of adjusted my philosophy on time changing. And I think Mark Lawrence makes a really important distinction of how it's it's the focus remains on the character because it's it's using time as a device to get different perspectives of the character, much like A Song of Ice and Fire. Each chapter is a different point of view, and that's how we get different perspectives on the plot you know and that kind of distinction was actually um really interesting for me to hear from mark lawrence because it kind of reframes the way i I think about broken empire and i mean i was i always liked the timeline jump in book of the ancestor i think that one because it was so focused on character relationships between a bunch of people that didn't bother me at all i thought it was actually made it super interesting and almost had these like cliffhanger moments um so yeah it's just really interesting to make that distinction and to view it as a device much like uh changing povs with uh, multiple characters as a device you know so yeah i never fully considered it in that way so i think mark lawrence is an excellent example of using um time jumps as like pov changes Right. It's very interesting. I, I mean, are we all at all surprised that Mark Lawrence, a uh, man with a PhD in mathematics over here, who has been involved in rocket science and stuff, <laughs> was like, well, it's just uh, manipulating time instead of space, Charles. Um, <laughs> get it together, Charles. But uh, so don't be such a plot-focused reader. Focus on the characters a bit. But <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> I do think that it, it, it changed my perspective on it too. You know, I never was the one having the same level of concern about as mm-hmm. you, but at the same time, I never thought about it through this lens of, well, it's just manipulating time instead of space, right? We're jumping across space in A Song of Ice and Fire when we go from uh, Westeros to Essos. Right. We're jumping across time with what we do in a lot of Mark Lawrence's work. And and the fact that it's a single POV, I think I mentioned you, Charles, I can't remember if it was on the air or off the air when we've talked about this before, where I was like, 
well, uh, how likely do you you talk about, especially Broken Empire, not as much with uh, Book the Ancestor, because I know you did like those better, like, Yorg is the single POV in those books. I'm like, are you really worried about Yorg, though? Like, he's going to die? Is that really <laughs> taking away the stakes? Like, it's a first-person POV, and we're early in book one. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's not right. let's not get too worried for Yorg's safety yet. So <laughs> That's fair. I mean, for yeah. other series, that does sometimes happen, but it's not right. something that you need to hinge your whole book on. Like, oh, I can't like betray that the main character doesn't die in the first half of this book, and that's why I can't use a device I want to use. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I get that completely, and I just think it's because reading other series, like um, Lawrence mentions George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire, and it's like that's like such a popular trend in modern fantasy and my brain was so wired that way and and mark lawrence is you know because the question is a notable part of the mark lawrence experience which is how i've always thought about these time jumps are so uniquely his style and then to have him contextualize it has only benefited uh, my reading experience so really great reply here from mark that it is and charles i'm excited for us to get into the lies of Locke lamora at some point because that uses similar, I would say, like character-focused time shifts. So I, I want to hear your reaction when we get there. But this isn't a Scott Lynch answered our questions <laughs> episode. It is a Mark Lawrence answered our questions episode. And it wouldn't be a series of questions for Mark Lawrence, who the first line in his Twitter bio is Cat Butler. Uh, <laughs> if I didn't ask him... How much does Wobble weigh? Wobble's Mark Lawrence's cat. And if you look at his Twitter page, the cover photo is Mark Lawrence holding a giant Wobble cat uh, out (laughs) his full length outstretch. And Wobble looks huge. But uh, I'll let you (laughs) answer. So we're here today to put the question to rest. Mark Lawrence replies, I'm not entirely sure. I think about eight or nine kilograms, parentheses, just under 20 pounds. He's mostly fluff. Right. I I guess, like, a 20-pound cat is a gigantic cat, right? That's like a barn cat. And I appreciate that he converted it from kilograms to pounds for us Americans. You know, that was very thoughtful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, we would have been... We would have been hopping on Google to convert it ourselves. But I, yeah, again, Mark Lawrence, I think, got, had that handled with his PhD in mathematics. So we're, we're all good there. Mm-hmm. Um, this next question is one of yours, Dylan, regarding the fantasy genre at large. You want to go ahead and ask it? Sure thing. <laughs> I said, we know from your Goodreads page that you read a lot of fantasy. As a fan of the genre, what concepts, settings, themes, etc. would you like to see explored more in the fantasy genre? All right. Mark Lawrence replied, I don't hold opinions about things like that. I generally don't know what I'm looking for until I read it. It's great when writers tackle difficult topics or spread good messages, but that's going to come from them. I'm not demanding more of this or more of that. I have a weakness for zombie films, so if you asked me this about filmmaking, I'd be saying, and this is in all caps, make more great zombie films. (laughs) But in fantasy fiction, nope. 
There's nothing specific I'm jonesing for. And similarly, there's nothing I want less of. I've not really understood that concept in fiction. I've never felt that too much X is somehow thwarting my ambition to read Y. I'm not interested in reading about vampires, but I've never been frustrated that there are too many vampire novels. Yeah. And this very pragmatic feeling reply from (laughs) Mark Lawrence fits with a lot of the replies that we've read from him in other interviews that we kind of checked out beforehand. I thought when I was asking this that it wasn't unlikely we would get one of these where I think my sense is like Mark Lawrence writes what he thinks is an interesting story and wants to tell and uh, like he doesn't get caught up on what really he enjoys reading others work if it's good but doesn't get caught up on like these ideas about we need to move back toward uh, let's say like softer magic systems for whatever reason he's just like eh, write good books that <laughs> are fun and worth reading right to me this feels like a very like on brand reply yeah. for mark lawrence where it's like i just write the stuff that i like and it's based off of an idea that I thought was good and I just started the big start of the book and then I write to the end and it's it's that's how you do it <laughs> and I'm like well one. yeah yeah it makes sense I guess that is how you do it <laughs> like that's a good reply <laughs> yeah I mean I've heard uh, there's lots of other authors uh, that if you ask them this question this is like the one they're waiting for and they'll go off about all the things that they want to. I think I watched a Daniel green video where he asked uh, like Rebecca Kwong this question and she had a lot of really like great thoughts on this and definitely worth checking that out uh, too. uh, Some people think a lot about what they want to see more of and other folks are like, eh, like, right. Because Kwong is an interesting one because um, you know, she has a background in like Chinese history. And I guess she was like, I wanted to write the book that um, I wanted to read that I couldn't find, you know, and that's something yeah. you, you see a lot of that in authors and their inspiration for writing and why they chose to write a specific book or series or something. And um, it's kind of ref- refreshing almost for Mark wants to be like, I, write whatever you want. I write whatever I want and I like it. You know, I write what I think is going to be good. And um what drives me in that moment and I'm open to whatever. And I think that's a, that's a great, that's a great response. The zombie films thing was new to me. I didn't know he was such a zombie film fan. I didn't know that about him either. I think that I, I'm trying to think if I've seen anything before about that. This might be breaking news <laughs> on the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast that Mark Lawrence demands that people make more great zombie films. Yeah, that should be just Get the title it. of this episode. Mark Lawrence demands make more great zombie films. <laughs> <laughs> when we're really desperate for content, we'll yeah. make an episode on that. Uh, well, next time we send questions to Mark Lawrence, we should get some zombie film recommendations. Yeah. I, I wonder if he's open to like Shaun of the Dead style, like Mm. the satire of zombie land, like the more funny ones. Right. Or if he's more of a purist with, what is it like 28 days later? Yeah. 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 Um, 
Then there's the George Romero one, the classic one. I'm going to forget what it is called. <laughs> House of the Dead or something like that. You know, those classic old school ones. Um, but there's also like Walking Dead. I wonder what he thinks of that. You know, that was super popular not too long ago. So, yeah. I guess I want to know what, like, what is it about zombie films that appeals to him? For a man who answered our question about the field he writes in with like, eh, I don't really have an opinion on that. What is it about zombie films that <laughs> yeah. makes them something he wants so much more of? Yeah, That's an interesting exactly. One. And then also, like, where, where's the zombie fantasy book? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I would definitely read that. We would, Mark Lawrence, if if you are happening to be listening to this, if you do write a zombie fantasy novel we will bump that immediately <laughs> to the top of our tbrs we'll do buddy read discussion episodes of that i'm sure we would do it anyway but <laughs> if this yes. is any incentive which that i would definitely, definitely read isn't. knowing how much of a uh, zombie enthusiast mark lawrence is now it's like oh i gotta check yeah. that out <laughs> it'd be a labor of love for sure so the next question is Another one of yours, and this was based off of an earlier interaction we had on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. True. And if you want to see us bothering Mark Lawrence on Twitter, mm-hmm. you can find us at the FDF Podcast One. That's so right. I asked, we know from an earlier interaction with you that you like different books best, depending on which criteria. What criteria do you like Book of the Ancestor best by? And Mark Lawrence's reply is, Rather predictably, I like it best for its strengths, which are the character relationships. And of course, spending time on the relationships also deepens our insight into the characters in a very human way. With Jorg and Yalen, for example, we see them almost exclusively under extremists. They're both, Jorg in particular, constantly in the equivalent of a car chase scene or a moment of high drama, and we get to know the sides of their personality that come to the fore in such moments. With Nona and friends, we get to see them chilling out, playing pranks, having lunch, spending time in class, etc. I enjoyed writing that and was pleased that people liked reading it. Yeah, we love that. I mean, that's part of why Bound sticks out is yeah. it emphasizes more of that downtime aspect. And and we've been saying since the Red Sister episode, we said the core of this series is the relationship between the main characters in it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what you're there for if you're reading Book of the Ancestor. Very true. I mean, that's what we were going on about why we liked it so much. It was these character interactions. So, and even Mark Lawrence was like, yeah, rather predictably, it's the characters. And that yep. just makes a lot of sense. I love that he refers to the characters as Nona and friends. I think that's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, friendship is so important to Nona. So it makes sense. We usually call him team Nona, but Nona and friends is probably more appropriate. Yeah, yeah, and I guess when it's Mark Lawrence that's saying it, that's kind of becomes the de facto <laughs> frame. I, I I do like that, and yeah, it's it definitely like reading Book of the Ancestor versus Broken Empire. There is that distinct difference right away. Is that we do get all this downtime, and then like Bound is pretty much a book, a short story about some of that downtime with some drama thrown in. But it's in those moments that they're you know. Like Mark Warren said, chilling out, playing pranks, having lunch, blah, blah, blah. 
that makes the actual characters so honest and 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 lived in and you know and very human as as Mark Lawrence said. Right. It'd be strange to be reading a story about York just hanging out and playing pranks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah York doesn't strike me as the character that has the luxury of of that kind of downtime. Or yeah, or intri- pranks seem a little too uh, out of character for him. <laughs> yeah, too playful for York. He doesn't have a lot of playfulness. But no, yeah, makes a lot of sense, and I think that's what. That's what you're looking for in Book of the Ancestor. You're going to get it. So, Yeah, I think it's a good distinction for Book of the Ancestor compared to some of his other works. Yeah, they all have great characters, but the emphasis on the relationship between the characters is what Book of the Ancestor sticks out for. And that it's so... that Those relationships are so central and enjoyable that these moments where they're not really doing anything except for relating with each other feel like first of all they're fun and entertaining and interesting but they're also they also feel like the book is moving along when it's happening because right that's what it's about so right. and nona yeah. and friends are are nona a lot friends. of fun to read so <laughs> just, uh... well you'll find out a whole lot about nona and friends uh if you read the book of the ancestor if you haven't already found that out but if you do fall into that camp of folks who haven't yet read Book of the Ancestor, this is a great time to turn this down in your headphones because there are going to hear <laughs> what 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 is that like here be spoilers yeah. uh, from here on out <laughs> of Book of the Ancestor That's and right. Yep, we have two more we have two more questions coming. to ask. They both yeah. are kind of spoilery for the series. So if you haven't read Book of the Ancestor, like Dylan said, turn this down in your headphones and go read it. I mean, do yourself yeah. a favor. If you're if you've read this and have I mean listened to this and you're and you enjoyed the replies from Mark Lawrence, if you enjoyed our amazing questions that we asked, um, then definitely give it a shot. Our you won't be disappointed. <laughs> Charles, you love the questions. <laughs> they, I hope good. they were good. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> so this next question, which has slight spoilers in it now, was asked by me, and it was about one of these scenes that kind of stuck with us in our um, in our buddy read. It was from the first book, Red Sister, and we just kept bringing it up throughout all of the five episodes that we did on Book of the Ancestor because it was such like a standout moment for us, and it just kind of ran away we kind of ran away with it um one of our favorite moments in the book of the ancestor was when team nona put yisht in a barrel what was they your put inspir- yisht in a barrel they put yisht in a barrel <laughs> what was your inspiration for this unorthodox moment in fantasy literature i mean when we were coming up with questions from mark lawrence and we were in the thick of book of the ancestor i had to ask this question i just had to because when they defeated yisht and were like what do we do with her unconscious body they there's like they're these preteen girls like well let's put it in a barrel and ship it off to sea and then we don't have to think about it anymore which was such a like a it was funny but also endearing in a way and i was very excited to get mark lawrence's kind of thoughts on like why (laughs) when they put you in a barrel it's so unique and creative what happened there (laughs) (laughs) so mark lawrence replied with 
I'm usually very poor at pointing to specific influences or inspirations, and this case isn't really an exception. I don't think I had any inspiration in mind when I was writing it, but with hindsight, or hind blindness, I can speculate that maybe the idea of putting someone in a barrel was seeded in my childhood by The Hobbit, where Bilbo stuffs a whole bunch of dwarves into barrels, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Uh, so Dylan, I don't know if you're familiar with that moment because you haven't read The Hobbit, but maybe you've seen the movies or something where they do no. do a little bit of a, there are barrels involved in putting people in I, barrels. <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with it, but uh, maybe this is a pretty iconic moment in fantasy, Dylan, yeah. and not quite that's, yished in a barrel levels. <laughs> no, I, I do really <laughs> love the yish in a barrel. And it was so, it was one of my favorite things uh, from this one of my favorite experiences from doing the show was when Mark Lawrence on Twitter all caps they put Yisht in a barrel and like a reply to one of our episodes I was like yes they put Yisht in a barrel people like we can't forget about that it happened early in the first book and we need to remind ourselves always when we're thinking of Book of the Ancestor that team Nona or Nona and friends put Yisht right. in a barrel <laughs> They did. And I had an interaction recently on Twitter, Charles, where someone was tweeting about how they were really enjoying Book the Ancestor. And I was kind of just like, oh, yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying these books. They're awesome. And then they're like, yeah, I'm at the part with they're trying to figure out how to deal with Yish. And I'm looking forward to finding out how they go about it. (laughs) I did not want to spoil anything, but I was just like, yeah, that's one of our favorite moments. Uh, Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) such an honest moment when you think about like what a group of young children like young teenagers would do it's like the idea of like just straight up murdering yisht like they weren't they didn't have like the conviction to do that you know they're innocent they're teenagers (laughs) and i think they're like 11 or 12 at that point i don't think they're even teenagers yeah but clara yeah clara was ready (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> knowing clara but yeah it was like what do we do it was such like an honest like childhood panic kind of moment of stuffing something and hiding it away and hoping it you know trying to forget about it and move on such a fun fun moment that i'm glad we got to bring to mark lawrence attention <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean and the fact that he's not like deliberately or consciously thinking when he's writing it that he's like oh i'm gonna draw from the hobbit where bilbo stuffs people into stuffs dwarves into barrels and write this it means that lawrence i guess was just like writing this he's like what would they do yeah i I feel like they'd probably just like try to put her in a barrel and like i know i wrote the thing about how they ship wine away so maybe they try to put her in a barrel and just ship her off and it feels very true like that's what I think you're allowed by that pantser style writing that yeah. Mark Lawrence does, I think where Mark, it's just yeah, yeah, so yeah. true to the characters and what they d- try to do next. Yeah, I think Mark Lawrence, as an author, as we've even seen from his replies to these questions, he's not like, oh, I need to write these moments where these kids have some reserve. They show some like childhood qualities to them. I think he got to that point in the story. He's like, okay, what would they do? <laughs> what makes sense? What's good? And then kept going, you know? He's <laughs> like, oh, they put yeah. this in a barrel. They send her ship her away and just comes back later you know that that's just what they would do you know he's not like making a point of like i need to capture that childhood like wonder in this gritty world you juxtapose the two you know he's not like 
he's not yeah. like thinking like he's not getting too much into his head. He's very pragmatic as we've said. And like, he's just like, yeah, I wrote it because I thought it would be good. And it's the thing that makes sense to do. And it's all about characters and this is how they would do it. And, uh, it's a very straightforward reply. And it's, I'm glad we got to share the, share that moment with, with Mark Lawrence. And that brings us to our final question, everybody. Um, this is one that was asked by Dylan, and it's more about Book of the Ancestor and this whole like being in a in a school and the school tropes. Right. So I said we appreciate your twists on some classic magic school archetypes in Book of the Ancestor. For example, Ara initially seems to fit the spoiled bully trope, e.g., Malfoy, Ambrose, but she's actually very kind and becomes close with Nona. Did you deliberately subvert reader expectations of these character archetypes, or is this just how the characters came to you? This was a question we asked ourselves a couple times on the show, and now we yeah. have Mark Lawrence's reply. Claire which, is another example. Great too, example, like, yeah. Yeah, kind of subverts the initial best friend, Ron Weasley type, but I didn't want to make too long a question. <laughs> right. It was a question that we had speculated on, and, and this is like a reasons why we liked the series, whether it was intentional or not, we weren't sure. And here's Mark Lawrence's reply. Uh, it's certainly not a case of having sat down analyzed popular storytelling and decided to upend it it's more to do with thinking while writing the book that this or that element is rather familiar or overtired and that i'm just coasting at such times i wonder what would be a more interesting direction to head in generally my characters start as a name tag and evolve as they're written only the main characters have a predetermined set of features and those two are pretty flexible as the character seeks their groove yeah and this makes me imagine that an aura type is someone who Lawrence is writing. It's like, okay, well, there's this rich girl there who's kind of spoiled and uh, maybe starts bullying the character. Or the character at least is having some sort of interaction with them where they can't see eye to eye because they're from such different backgrounds. And then he's probably writing that and starting to notice like okay is this is this treading a new ground that's interesting or not and then starts moving in a direction that is more interesting or unfamiliar and rather than this like oh like take that reader i made you think that she was ambrose but she's actually not it's like well if she's just ambrose that's not as interesting because so many people have read the king killer chronicle so maybe like she's got more depth and Mm-hmm. sometimes uh, we read a, yeah sometimes we read a fantasy series and there's a character and we're like okay that character was very clearly written in mind with like you know with gandalf in mind or with frodo right. in mind or what or harry potter in mind or whatever and you know especially when you do something like the character like the school it's like okay you have the bully and it's like how does this person become or like a rival and how does this bully slash rival you know enter the stage and that's kind of the name tag i think mark lawrence is referring to but then you ask yourself like okay why is this character the bully or the rival how can i make it interesting and then what does that character continue to do throughout the series you know i don't yeah, yeah and, and that's where 
Book of the Ancestor, those relationships kind of evolve. It's like, okay, well, this character might start out as a rival, and then you just learn, that, oh, this is all a misunderstanding or whatever, and then that kind of evolves. And I think approaching it that way, kind of getting out of your own head, like, forget about tropes, forget about the school, like, how would these characters interact and how is it something that's interesting for me and not overdone and like let's do it right and let's grow the character from there and I think that's um one of the many strengths of Book of the Ancestors that characters do kind of grow in and out of these kind of tropes and it makes for a very honest and real relationship between Nona and friends. Well said, Charles. I also and think I'm going to take this phrase, it's more to do with thinking. <laughs> Next time someone asks me like a question, I'd be like, well, it's more to do with me thinking about it <laughs> and like just knowing what to do and be done with it. You know, like I love that reply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's like it's more to do with thinking while writing the book that this is because while writing the books in comma so i think it's just kind of like thrown in there so it's like it's more to do with thinking that this or that element is rather familiar i don't think it's like <laughs> it's more to do with thinking <laughs> like if you like try it sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it's like well i usually I, I usually start with thinking about something to do and then think of something good and then write that and then the book is born <laughs> <laughs> and then I sell lots of copies, and you know that's it makes how it, it sounds so easy yeah. to write international best-selling books. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I can, I can think and just try to do things, and then yeah. I like... think, what would make this book good? And then I write it. I usually start the beginning, yeah. right through to the end, <laughs> and release and then it. Don't change anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just sell it for lots of money. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah. I'm jealous of those um, abilities for sure. Um, and it's, and it's, and it bleeds into his like writing style as well and his characters and his prose and things. His voice is very strong and to read his replies, I'm like, this is exactly the kind of voice I'd expect from someone that wrote, um, Broken Empire and Book of the Ancestor. <laughs> Loved it. Very true. Well, Charles, I think it was fun talking about these questions i think we learned about we learned a lot about mark lawrence's writing process about nona and friends uh, and yeah uh, and i'm really just thankful to mark lawrence for being such a great friend to the show in so many ways so uh, i know thank we've you been, so much thank you mark, mark if you are listening. we've been talking about mark yeah. Lawrence for years and long before the show and if you had told me when we started the show that within like six months seven months that we would be like having these interactions online with one of our you know favorite authors that i would have never believed it i would have hardly believed anyone was listening but thanks to the support from mark lawrence and for everyone that's listening we we got to have this moment, and this was a really, really special moment, and I really appreciate Mark Lawrence taking the time out of his busy life to right. to write these responses to some of our some of our questions here. So thank you, Mark Lawrence. We greatly appreciate you for coming out and answering these questions and putting that time in and for giving us all the support that you gave us over our Book of the Ancestor buddy read. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for making it right. to the end of the episode and for supporting us. 
You did it. You endured. You endured. <laughs> yes. That's another Mark Lawrence reference. Um, Mark Lawrence, if you endured again, thank you for that as well. Yeah. You fall into both categories. So double thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we ready to? Are we ready to go? I think go? we're ready to get that outro music pumping. If you're ready over there, Charles, it's playing already. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, reach out to us on Twitter. That's at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram at the FTF Podcast. Send us an email if that's what you'd prefer. Send that to us over at theftfpodcast at gmail.com. Now, Dylan, if someone was listening on the podcast and they're a fan of the show and they want to show their support, what's an easy or free way that they can show some love? <laughs> Just scroll down on our Apple Podcast page until you see some blank stars over there. And hopefully you would toss five stars to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, and click five of them. If you have time to write a review, that would be awesome too. But just listening, that's all we ever ask of you. Yes. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. We love you thank you thank you thank you and as always go forth and conquer friends